0: Super Talk Mississippi media production.
1: If you're feeling anxious about your investments with all the economic volatility and chaos in Washington, tune in to Super Talk Jackson on Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. and Sundays from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. for Element Wealth Radio with Jeremy Nelson. Learn more at myelementwealth.com.
2: Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element Wealth studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this radio. getting a little chilly once again out there another shot of arctic Type air, especially in North Mississippi, has invaded the northern part of the state of Mississippi, and they also, of course, received some precipitation, making the roads rather treacherous for travel. I Seems I they've been that way all week. Yeah. Uh, in fact, has it been above freezing in some northern parts of the state?
2: Uh, I want to say in some locales it's gotten up to where the ice would start melting, but there's still icy roads reported on pretty much every county in the northern half of the Magnolia state. Gee whiz.
3: Okay, well, we are uh, expecting sunny skies here in central Mississippi, and uh, but cold temperatures uh, tomorrow, high of thirty five around the Jackson metro area. Yeah, it's gonna get cold tonight and then stay cold tomorrow. All righty. Well, it's January, but next week, looking at the long term, we get on up to the 60s with uh, a, a chance of some rain. It'll be shorts and flip-flops weather. <laughs> <laughs> For you, I know it will, my friend. So, In the next segment, we've got the Garden Mama. Nellie Neal, host of Weekend Gardening here on Super Talk in Mississippi. The Garden Mama will talk about gardening in the first part of the year. That would be presently. and uh, So we'll have some fun with that. And then at 11.05, State Senator Josh Harkins We will get an update from the Senator on the 2024 session, and honestly, much focused the last couple of days down there at the legislature on this big EV battery plant in Marshall County, Mississippi, a $1.9 billion investment. I believe that's the second largest single investment, capital investment in the state's history, and I believe the largest committed payroll in the state's history, 2,000 workers, at an average pay of $66,000 there in Marshall County, which, by the way, has a population of about 34,000. So, uh, it's really good news, I uh, I left the studio yesterday, headed down to the Capitol to kind of See what was going on with that deal, and when I got to the second floor there, Rhino, the the media had already set up all of their assets to um, record and uh, broadcast the proceedings, expecting there to be an announcement, and ensure. And sure enough, there was. So the governor there at, in the rotunda with the at the podium with lots of press all around with their Their cameras, their mics, etc., and behind the governor, if you've seen the photos on the steps there in the Capitol, members of the House and Senate, those in particular who represent the area of Marshall County where the plant will be located, Uh, and then of course the governor was flanked by the Speaker of the House, Jason White, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. The governor offered what I thought were very appropriate and on-point remarks with the announcement. He, of course, issued lots of uh, credit and gratitude to uh, the large team of people involved with this, from the local level, through MDA, through the legislature. He he made the point, you know, as those of us uh, who are familiar with what goes on in this building, it's not very often you get that sort of broad consensus to move forward with uh, legislative measures, but, in fact, that's what we got. I haven't looked at the final vote tally. I think there were two in the Senate who dissented, and uh, I know of a couple in the House as well, Republicans um, in particular. The governor was asked a question by one of the members of the media, where he was uh, questioning him about how do you square this investment and in, in, uh, essentially touting it for the state of Mississippi, given that it is an, an investment, a project which will produce batteries for electric vehicles. And, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but, of course, your party and the leaders in your party have really condemned the Biden administration for its promotion and its plans, its agenda to transition to electric vehicles. And the governor, I thought, very, uh, very appropriately responded with a bit of an animation and said, can't y'all just be happy for one day? Do you have to just politicize everything? And I'm, I'm back there, like, doing fist pumps, you know, <laughs> to myself privately. Like, that's exactly what you should be saying.
2: I've just never seen. Well, if you were paraphrasing, it sounds like it was more of a a lecture instead of a fact-finding question, that's true. which is to be expected from a large swath of media. That's true. Never have
3: so many been so negative about something so positive. And you know, yesterday on the program, I I got a little frustrated. Said, "Man, this is something to be happy about." Now, I appreciate and respect all those who have expressed their reservations about the viability of electric vehicles and of course these batteries would would be installed in them. I I respect that. I get that. I understand those who have concerns about taxpayers investing and being on the hook to uh, partially fund, if you will, such a project. I respect that. I get it. But I also understand reality. I wish it was a pure, perfect world where, as I said yesterday, the other 49 states didn't offer incentives for economic development projects. I wish that were the case. And, And when that happens, I promise, I'll be down at the Capitol expressing my desire to see the state of Mississippi terminate that process. But as long as we're competing with the other 49, your choice is compete. And win, as we did yesterday, or just decide that you're not going to compete, in which case you get zero.
2: That's what's going to happen. You're I need mean, to, to go back to a typical analogy I like to use here, the football analogy. It's kind of like saying, I want my college football team to win a national championship, but I'm not going to participate in NIL. Right. So
3: you either accept that's the reality, and you learn to thrive within it, or you just kind of swear it off and and abandon it and just decide that you're not going to participate, you're not going to play, in which case you will receive zero. That's just reality. That's a fact. And it is my understanding, though I've I've not vetted this, that, and of course for a project like this, you're going to have... Numerous other states competing for it, right? It's my understanding that we got outbid by other states, but there were other factors, as there always are. Oh, yeah. Doesn't always come down to that. And we'll, I'm sure, in time learn more about that. And that's fine, it's kind of irrelevant at this point, but. You know, I was comfortable
2: Well, I mean, that could be something as simple as the timeline we could present to them.
3: No doubt about it. And the
2: governor made that point.
3: Speed to market, his exact terminology. That is that is a, a common phrase used
2: when you talk about,
3: hey, how quick can you get this done? Think about it. I mean, if
2: if a hypothetical Georgia have no idea if they were bidding on this or not, but a hypothetical Georgia offered twenty five percent more and we can get it done in the next decade. Right. Does that 25% more incentive bear out if you have to wait a decade to start making any money? That's when the companies, who are very sophisticated, will get
3: their spreadsheets out and start plugging that into their ROI models, I promise you. And they're beyond complicated. And they'll figure that out. You're exactly right. There's a trade-off there, right? And, they, and there's uh, ways to analyze that to determine that. And there is a time value of money component. No doubt about it. So you're absolutely right. Speed to market key. There are lots of other factors. Just uh, proximity to perhaps where you're shipping your goods is another issue. Uh, Infrastructure, transportation, available labor, et cetera, et cetera. lots of factors. Uh, Sometimes it's energy, power, and the readiness of the site. Don't discount what a big deal that is. And my understanding is this uh, Chickasaw Trail site, in uh, Marshall County is, is, is ready. It's prime. It's, um, it is ready to accept a shovel in the ground, as they say, to start construction. I guarantee that was a big deciding factor. So I'm ecstatic about this, and I hope the rest of uh, the state of Mississippi is. Again, I appreciate concerns. Those are valid concerns. They need to be addressed. I'm comfortable that they were with respect to the clawback uh, provisions that were are included and will be included in the final deal with the company. I'm comfortable with that, that the taxpayers are protected. I think we're going to benefit tremendously from this. We're coming right back with Garden Mama. Stay with us.
0: The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Everyone, you are tuned in to middays. We are in the Element Well studio and we welcome now to the program uh, the famous Garden Mama, Nellie Neal, host of Weekend Gardening on Super Talk Mississippi. Garden Mama, good to see you. Good morning. Thanks
4: for having me in, Gerard. Nice to see you.
3: Absolutely. So it, uh, it's a bit cold outside, it's hard to believe we would even discuss the practice of gardening, but what do we do this time of year?
4: When I began my radio career, it was December, and they (laughs) said, you know, if she can get a couple of calls, we might have something here, and that's 20, however many years ago.
3: Well, congratulations. Because there
4: is actually, in the Deep South, we're very fortunate because we get to garden all year round. And so this month, we're cutting back ornamental grasses, we're spraying camellias with oil to keep the bugs away, and at this particular point in time, Sort of walking around to see what sprouted and what didn't in all this cold weather. Yeah, <laughs> so they'll keep up with stuff, you know.
3: Well, I think that I'm not alone in uh, in this regard. That I lost a lot of the uh, the, the plants around. Uh, my my foundation plantings around my house uh to the cold last year and then of course the drought kind of exacerbated that but a lot of them had checked out before we ever got to the drought. Between onset.
4: the wet and the heat and the drought we've seen the stressors that plants do not accept yeah. in many cases. Yeah. The good news is all of our shrub growers across the southeast are busy, busy busy. Yeah and there's gonna be plenty of stock to get in there and get it to get started again with. Okay. But there I are there a... are going to be some things we're just gonna lose. or other things Frankly, here's what happens a lot of the time, I think. People cut it back, you know, and it starts to come back, but it's in your front yard. It doesn't look so great. Yeah, Dig that thing up, put it in the back, put on a new one. Come on. (laughs) I mean, it's like getting a haircut. You know, if if it doesn't look good, get another one. Yeah. That kind of thing. It's a, it's a, a... there are plants. we can do whatever we want.
3: Yes, yeah. so
4: that's the best part.
3: You know, uh, one of the varieties that I lost that I was a little surprised of that I have a fair amount of around my property, I don't remember the the more formal name, but uh, I guess commonly known as cinnamon girls. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. and they all checked out. or well, not all, but several yeah, of them did. Of, they probably were
4: hit very hard. Even the ones that that were in good shape.
3: Yeah, and that was um, from the cold.
4: Yeah, the cold. The cold will do that because, particularly because they were stra- stressed from the drought yeah. last year.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I had one had, thing
4: has led to the other for a bunch of those shrubs like that. The distichiums the are, are they're lovely the cinnamon girls, and there's. There are a couple of others that have very attractive names like that yeah. in that group. And yeah. they're, they're all fun, and they grow well, but, yeah, they got hit. And so the younger the
3: younger Sasanquas, the Shishis, uh, uh, I, had, I had some that weren't terribly mature, and uh, some of them didn't really make it either. Had to it, it may
4: set them back. You yeah. know, they, they sometimes have to start again, and sometimes they just have to be replaced. I didn't lose... I I thought I had lost my quince. I have an older um, flowering quince, and I thought that I had lost it because in the drought last summer, it it lost all its leaves and never showed another. But I noticed yesterday it's trying to put on leaves, and I thought, this Mm. is a strange time to be struggling, but okay, (laughs) (laughs) go ahead.
3: That's kind of weird. So uh, is, pay there, is there anything you can do? I also had a couple of uh, ornamental trees. Is there, you know, I was always told that you sort of maybe break the limbs and look inside. If they look kind of green and, and, and white, they're okay. But if they're really brittle and they're all sort of brown, that mm-hmm. they they may have... Well,
4: I'm, I'm into the thumbnail test. Okay. My, my grandfather would have done it with the extremely thin, very well honed knife that he had that was his pocket knife. I yeah. don't carry a pocket knife, so yeah. I use my thumbnail. Okay bark a little bit. If it's green under the bark, there is life. Okay. And then it becomes a decision as to whether you want to wait for it or not.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you know? Sometimes it, we do, sometimes it, we don't. Even though it may uh, have survived, it may take a while before it kind of returns to something that is attractive.
4: I have a friend who is coming to he needs to replace Eli Agnes. Yeah. And he he has uh I, I have Eli Agnes that was a traveling hedge in a movie that I worked on. So hmm. they're they're in the back of my property, and I ignore them, which means that they're perfect propagating <laughs> material. You can go cut them off any time; they don't care. Yeah. And that that's the sort of project that I think people are going to be taking up. Okay. Is just to see how's it doing. Can I make more of it? And do I need to replace this, or can I get something new? You know, because there's always another choice okay. to be made.
3: Well, something else popular, of course, uh, around this area are azaleas. Of course, there are a number of varieties of mm-hmm, those. Mm-hmm. Seems like some of them fared better than others uh, yeah, through the so. weather.
4: I think so. Some in some cases, the older, more established, the big old things, the formosas with yeah. the big purple flowers and stuff, those seem to have done pretty well. Yeah. Because they've probably been there for 40 years and they've yeah. seen worse than this. You know, at one time or another. But there are some plantings where you you can just tell that the burn is there and they're going to end up may, they don't need to be pruned really but they do need to be
3: encouraged
4: with mulch and water and and that sort of thing as spring comes on. Okay. Uh, they may make it and they may they may they may have to just be cut back by about half in some cases. Okay.
3: All right. So I really
4: do like Encore azaleas. They're the yep. ones that bloom several times during the year yep. and I have seen several varieties of that that have done very very well, but those are actually those were bred for conditions all the way up through North Carolina and, and Virginia, so, okay, they, have so little little, they have a little more tolerance. They have a little more tolerance than some of the others.
3: Something uh, that I like that's not terribly popular around this area; it's more more so to our south are pittosporums. Oh, I, I love pittosporums. I, I like pittosporums because mm-hmm. they they're um, they're kind of almost a ground cover. They don't get really big. They're really neat. It's kind of a, a front sort of mm-hmm. plant when you got something in, uh, behind them. We
4: have so many choices. The Wheeler's Dwarf is a beautiful one. I like Pittosporum because it has a flattened leaf. It looks a little spade-shaped, yeah. so it's different. Yeah. And then, of course, when it blooms, it gets you, you, we know why it's called mock orange, because it has a citrusy kind of flavor to yeah. it. But the variegated ones are so dramatic in a container, particularly the small ones, because they just pop. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll sit there on your patio and, and absolutely be happy for the entire year and you can add to them. You can put bulbs in the pot or you can put another container next to it with something okay. else. But I agree with you. I think Pettisporum is an underused plant
3: and I, I like it very much. little questionable this far north though. No. You don't think? Okay. If it's
4: an exposed, if it's exposed like to the north side of your house yeah. in the country, it's yeah. probably not going to do as well as in my urban environment where it's up against a bunch of pine trees. Okay,
3: that, that so. makes total sense. Well, I, I just I, I love those, and and they seem to be hardier and um, look less leggy than uh, say hawthorn, which which true. similar kind of look. They have, a,
4: they, have a, they present similarly, but the Pittosporums respond to pruning better. Okay. <laughs> in my experience.
3: Yeah. So uh, what else should we be doing this time of year? You you listed off a couple of things. Mm-hmm. I know the the oil and the um, camellias, yeah, yeah, camellias and so and forth. Other
4: shrubs, the other shrubs, particularly that have had any problems in the last year or so and most of them have but what we're doing with the oil spray it's just a highly refined horticultural oil and all we're doing is suppressing whatever happens to be bothering in other words there's insect eggs there's pest bodies there's pieces of things and if we can control those then they don't present a problem later in the year that requires the use say of a systemic insecticide which we try to avoid because of the pollinators okay
3: is this something that uh, the, uh, an average homeowner can do, or yeah. do you need professional help? Well, an
4: average homeowner can do it as long as you're comfortable doing it. But okay. there are there are professional gardeners who do that. I'm, sure. I'm happy to recommend folks for that. I, I don't think that there are as many gardeners as there should be, because I think there are more and more people like me who are at a certain age that we would really like to have somebody else come dig that hole, <laughs> <laughs> you know, somebody else come over here and do this or that. Yeah. But, the desire and the joy, and frankly, the therapeutic benefits of of gardening are just so tremendous that nobody wants to leave that behind. Yeah, you know, if if you're growing entirely indoors now, walk in my house right now. It looks kind of like you know the jungle has has blown in, but that's because I do, <laughs> I keep a lot of things indoors, and then the ones that go outside have to come in during the winter. So got it's kind of crazy in there right now. There's rooms you can't quite walk through, but on the other hand. You can start some seeds right now if you only have a square foot of space, you can get ready for spring. So okay. you can be doing any of those things. It's it's a joy to be into gardening because you, you can do it all year.
3: All right. Well, what about new plantings? Is Can you do it this time of
4: year around here? There are trees and shrubs. There's no better time than to plant when it when the weather is cold and the trees and shrubs are dormant. I wouldn't do it today because we're going to hit another really cold patch for a couple of days. But as we get nicer, wetter conditions, absolutely. Okay. I, I, I don't have any problem doing that.
3: Let them get established and mm-hmm. push their roots and mm-hmm. then start to go uh, yep. north our, of the our, ground. Just like
4: everything else, we'd like them to get on their feet before we ask them to stand up and put on flowers. You yeah. know? So yeah. if we can get them planted in the wintertime, we have a better shot at having them be healthy and happy going through the rest of the year.
3: Okay. Um, and then what's kind of your recommendation, Garden Mama, for doing, say, annual plantings around here, um, the various flowers and so forth, spring? I
4: love, I love annual flowers, spring and fall. They're two of my very favorite things. Right now, I noticed this morning that the stock did not freeze. I have flowering stock and pansies and snapdragons and yeah. those kind of things, yeah. and they're all doing real well. Oh, they I are? love all that. Well, you I can check. plant all that again. But then we get into springtime, and you can plant just about anything. Okay. Color everywhere.
3: Is there, like, some, like, cutoff where you need to kind of wait for and say, well, we're sort of out of the danger zone, that we're not at risk of some of these no. the spring annuals with, with freezing and stuff? With a
4: cover over it, you can keep it much colder than you think. Okay. Guess what? I brought your wife a T-shirt. Oh,
3: okay. We'll Was it? The Garden
4: Mama it. T-shirt. This I love is, uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Gerard. This Appreciate is fun. Appreciate you coming
3: on. See you again soon. Thanks. We're coming right back folks in the Element Well Studio.
0: Welcome, welcome to our shop on Super Talk, Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one.
3: vocals of the late, great Brad Delp. Boston. That harkens me back to freshman year of college there. Everybody had it spinning on their (laughs) turntables back in those days. And, of course, had the old 8-track. And to get the heads to align in my my 8-track player that I installed aftermarket. Oh, yeah. uh, To get the heads to align, I like had to wedge something in there. (laughs) Gee, you know what I mean? If you if the heads aren't aligned and, and don't impact the entire uh, tape, you'll lose some of the, the um, what am I trying to say, the range of the sound.
2: Yeah, it's before you had internal tracking.
3: Okay. They kept it yeah. lined up. Yeah. It was just more straight mechanical. You put the tape in there, and it just, wherever it landed, that's where it got. But I've always found myself wedging, like, cardboard or something in there <laughs> to get it, and it immediately... Um you got the full range of the music. So yeah. Well I'm digressing a bit. We appreciate the garden mama coming in. Uh, man, she is a wealth of information and knowledge when it comes to uh that stuff, all things around your yard. And uh we're blessed to have her as part of the Super Talk Mississippi family. Don't oh yeah. Forget. On
2: the on the rare occasions I get to fill in and produce for her on the weekends for yeah. weekend gardening. I always tell her I learned something new. Every single time. It's amazing, and it, um, it's fun. So I hope the folks enjoyed it. Don't forget, we got Senator
3: Josh Harkins. He's coming on at 11.05. Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist with Talk Mississippi News at 12.20. So the big announcement yesterday that we were talking about, $1.9 billion EV factory in Marshall County. The company is committed to employing 2000 at an average pay of $66,000 a year, and the, uh, those performance metrics are a requirement to be achieved by 2029 in order to receive the full investment in the loans and grants from the state, um, and the infrastructure investment subject to clawback if those targets aren't achieved. And it's prorated, by the way, the way the legislation is written. So, in other words, if they if they're committing to two thousand, they hire fifteen hundred, there would be a clawback on a prorated basis of the five hundred that they they didn't employ. But I I think it's a fair deal on that in that respect. And, And there are some questions which are in in a couple of comments as well. And I'm I'm looking for them. Somebody asked whether or not this would be for uh, EVs, um, passenger vehicles, versus commercial. Yeah, here we go. With, with Cummins and Daimler involved, is the product exclusively for EVs or also a portion of trucks, commercial vehicles? So it's, it's commercial EVs. That's what the application is. Initially, it's certainly what's been announced. It is, in fact, a joint venture of four companies, Daimler, which, by the way, I think is based in Oregon, if I'm not mistaken. They're their North American headquarters. And then the, the diesel engine maker, Cummins. PACAR already has a uh, factory, an operation in the Golden Triangle area. And then there is also a, uh, a Chinese entity as well that owns a 10% stake. So the other three companies that I mentioned – own 30% each, and then there's a Chinese company that owns 10%. EVE Energy Company Limited, they're a Chinese lithium battery producer. And so, like we were talking about, there were concerns about a project that involves, includes uh, a Chinese company which has an equity stake in the project, one of the joint venture partners, and that's a legitimate concern, but Here's what I'd say to that. If this company, this, this Chinese company, first of all, if it were the government, I'd, I'd have more reservations. This is not. And I'm certainly not naive to the fact that the Chinese government, a communist government, a regime, is pretty, got its tentacles pretty deep in the private sector. No doubt about that. So I, I understand that concern. However, again, this is a very small plot of land. And there's going to be a factory building, or multiple, and a parking lot on top of it. So it's, it's not the same as acquiring a large tract of uh, farmland, for example. That, that would cause concern. Or acquiring property that is pro- in proximity to uh, sensitive uh, domestic installations, such as a, a military base, for example. And there are states that have um, passed legislation that prohibits restricts, at least largely, a uh, Chinese acquisition of land. And I think you'll see something dropped in the state of Mississippi in this session to do the same. I don't know what the details are at this point. I don't have concerns about this with the 10 percent stake and, and just the nature of the project really doesn't bother me. And then, of course, there are those who raise the concern of, well, the taxpayers could be on the hook and, you know, the state of Mississippi has made some bad decisions in the past, that certainly ended up costing taxpayers, we acknowledge that. I think we have uh, progressed significantly away from that. I think we've learned our lessons there, and in this case, and I don't honestly, just knowing the governor, I, I don't think, and I, I know, I mean, I'm confident he would not sign off on a package that didn't have protections for the taxpayers. And this does. So on that basis, uh, I'm, I am uh, confident that this is going to be a winner for the state. But there's some, Rhino, that just, it's just no, no, no. And I, I guess my question that I would ask them is, on the one hand, you, you at least promote the idea and you espouse the narrative that we need our people working, we need to increase household incomes, we need more capital investment, more business expansion, in the state, we need to improve the quality of education. We need to stop the brain drain. I mean, these are the common sorts of issues. We need to address the health care issue in the, the large uninsured population we have because we have, and we have a low labor participation rate, the lowest in the country. All the above. You hear those uh, as, as concerns expressed. Well, this is a way to address that. In fact, in my view, this is the only way to address it. Not more government legislation. The way to address it is to grow the economy and to see business investment occur in our state and jobs created. That's how you address all those issues. And that's just fundamentally what built the country, is the private sector. And American innovation, ingenuity, and most importantly, risk. People who were willing to take risk sometimes failed when they took that risk, but you know what? They get right back up. I mean, that, that's just capitalism market, free market 101 right there. And so, on the one hand, you know, if you're concerned about all those issues, that laundry list that I just detailed, but, but we have an opportunity to address it in a positive way and to perhaps resolve or, or, go, uh, or go towards a resolution to those problems, gosh, you, you should get on board with this, in my view. I get it. You need to make sure that, that the taxpayers are, are protected. I understand. But if you just stand on this idea that really conflicts with reality, and the reality is the other 49 states are all vying for projects like this.
2: Well, that's one of the key problems. Is it's a willful ignorance to reality.
3: Well, I, I hope and we can get past that.
2: Usually, it's prompted by political ideology,
3: and it could be. And and I I think the if you're extent, a Democrat you're
2: right. or a Democrat mm-hmm. voter, you don't like the fact that the Republican supermajority gets a win.
3: I think there's absolutely even though it's a win for the Magnolia State. <clears throat> I I think you're absolutely right about that, and and of course you you've seen concerns expressed that, well gee, what about west of 55, which of course incorporates the the delta region of the state, which is uh, more African American populated, and the and the governor got asked about that yesterday, by the way, and you know what he said? He's a shrewd politician. He said, "I didn't win Marshall County." <laughs> That's the first thing he said. So I mean, the point being that, okay, I guess he could have exacted some sort of political retribution and said, I'm not signing off on that for Marshall County. They didn't support me. He knows better than that. He he thinks beyond that. Um, But he made that point to the media person who asked him that question. He also pointed out that, if I'm not mistaken, Marshall County is either mostly African American or real close. I mean, it, it exceeds the sort of 60-40 ratio we have, white to black in the state. It, it has a, um, the, the delta between the black and the white population in Marshall County. It's either closer or maybe slightly in favor of, uh, of black folks there, so it's like, man, we're not even thinking Republican, Democrat, black, white. That's the whole problem, though, is it not, Rhino? Is that on the on the left in this country, everything always filters down to that, the identity aspect of things. Can't we just be happy and celebrate this thing for one day at least? I'm with the governor on that. We're coming right back in the element Well studio. We are back in the Element Well sometimes studio. Bid, sneak, you the Dow up 114 today. The Nasdaq off and running. Had a good day yesterday, another one today. There's just all sorts of positive news and upgrades for the big tech stocks. And it's primarily driven by artificial intelligence. There's just a lot of optimism, a lot of... Warm fuzzies about how that's going to drive the market. I saw yesterday that uh, in, in one of the uh, technology industry trade journals that I still receive that, that uh, there was kind of an interruption in the transition of workloads by enterprises to cloud architectures with COVID. And now they are restarting those. And so that is expected to be a huge huge uh, investment uh, by American Enterprises to continue to migrate some of those workloads to cloud architecture. So you're going to have Microsoft and Oracle and IBM and Google and, and uh, Amazon, of course, AWS, but there are a number of other players that are not necessarily household names. Uh, Equinix is one, Rackspace is another, Peak 10 is another. I mean, there's a lot, you know, that that Rhino you don't hear a lot about because they're not just giant public companies, but they have significant uh investment and significant resources and assets to to do kind of customized cloud services. And so the good news is you're you're going to see a, a a major uh investment there and you're going to see a lot of companies benefit from that continued transition. What's amazing to me is when we've First built our little data center in 2000, and then we we moved to the Jackson State East Center in 2001. But before the term cloud was invented, and we would be out calling on customers, trying to persuade them to consider our services as, a, as an alternative to their premise environments. And there was, as you can imagine, in, as is always the case with something new, lots of hesitation, lots of concern, lots of fretting, lots of objections. So what's now kind of mainstream, accepted household, if you think about it, common. Back then, and that's the evolution you always see. That's the point. But back then is we couldn't possibly let that out of our site. You know, the, the servers down the hall there and the storage devices. Couldn't possibly let that come out of this building and move these workloads to your environment. And, of course, our response is, gosh, we got people 724, 365 and, that manage these environments uh, that manage this infrastructure in these hardened environments. You can't replicate that, you know, in your office here. Well, that's that's the value, is everybody sort of contributes to gain that scale. So what we used to tell folks is even the smallest of businesses can essentially afford enterprise-class IT because you're sort sort of sharing the expense, if you will. And that's what really gave rise to it. But now think about how commonplace that is and how our economy is going to, I think, benefit tremendously, not uh, not just from the capital investment, but just from the efficiencies.
2: And it, it really all comes down to scale and information. I mean, if you go back to mainframes and terminals, you could scale up the mainframe to have more terminals with more information. Yeah. And then from there, you connected them all with the Internet. So, And it's just... You scale up, you get more information. You scale up, you get more information. And it's just a constant race of can we scale up enough to get this, this much information and in data points.
3: And you know what happens, um, certainly back in those days, to your point, most of the time a customer would buy kind of the minimum, had a little bit of capacity. And that was a big thing in, in back in those days in selling in IT solutions. What's my, what's my ability to scale? What's my, my ultimate full maxed out capacity, because you're future planning, right? You're trying to future proof was the terminology we used to use back then. Well, when you migrate those workloads to the cloud, it's pretty quick just to access more resources, because it's all there available to be uh,
2: virtualized, to be deployed. And that's one of the excitements surrounding artificial intelligence is its ability to scale the complexity without putting that complexity on the end user. The end user has more access to more complex computations without having to fully understand them because the AI is doing a lot of the legwork for them. No doubt. And that's why AWS,
3: Microsoft, Oracle, IBM, they're all spinning up. They're all standing up. These these tailored cloud platforms specifically for AI development and, and AI workloads for that exact reason. Because you can easily just uh, increase capacity, both compute and storage and network capacity. Whereas if it's at, if that's in your building and it's kind of a self-contained insular, Environment that's extremely difficult and costly to do, and the last thing that the IT manager wants to have to do is go down to the CFO's office and say, ah, I miscalculated, we got to have more money. It used to see it all the time, so this kind of eliminates that problem. It's exciting, I think it's great. And America invented this, and it's leading in this arena. We're coming right back with Senator Josh Harkins. It's top of the hour, that means Fox News, Super Talk News. We're in the Element Well studio. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio on this. Friday, y'all. And we welcome to the program now... Mississippi Senator Josh Harkins, he he represents a District 20 that, of course, incorporates Rankin County, serves as the chairperson of the powerful Senate Finance Committee. Senator Harkins, always good to see you, sir. Thanks for coming in. Good afternoon, Gerard. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. You bet. So, big day. You and I visited a bit at the Capitol yesterday. Big announcement uh, for the state of Mississippi, $1.9 billion. EV battery plant that will be constructed in Marshall County, Mississippi, expected to create 2,000 jobs and an average pay of $66,000. Big old day. It was
1: exciting. It was a big day. It's big a big week. We've been working uh, pretty frantically all week uh, once we got the, the word that the governor was going to be calling the special session and started having meetings with MDA, uh, Bill Cork, who was on the show this morning. Uh, yep. Uh, his staff accelerate Mississippi uh, made themselves available we you know poured through the information uh, there's a lot of lot of moving parts and uh, this is a culmination of years of effort and you've got to give a lot of credit to to those individuals and the local uh, Justin yeah. Hall who has been really uh, kind of stalwart up there working on economic development projects he's uh, the little engine that could, he, he's up there, you know, uh, a small outfit up there working hard. They've had several opportunities uh, on this site. A lot of different companies have come through uh, kicking the tires and looked at it and, and uh, were told that this was a the site they wanted to come to, wanted us to match what other states were doing, and it was such a uh, an egregious number that they we had to turn some other things away. But uh, this is the, the, the relationship that... Uh, that came together and has made sense, and uh, is, is uh, we got it across the line. You know, um, in my experience, it, which is
3: the, um, just the last five years, and in, in being on the board in Madison County Economic Development, one of the things that I'm learning is that just being responsive and being yeah. able to get answers to questions. Because as you know, when you're negotiating something like this, it's a gazillion questions
1: back and forth. Uh, it's a lot of questions. And, and <clears throat> I spoke briefly with Justin yesterday, and he said, you know, it, it's gotten to where these things used to be year-long um, kind of exercises. Yeah. The company would come in, and it would just go back and forth for a long time. Those time frames have shortened to where it's it's two to three months. Like, you get a notice of inquiry, like, hey, we're looking for all these different uh, uh, site specifications, and, and these, are, these are the parameters of what we're looking for. It's quick, and you know in two or three months whether or not you're going to be a contender or not. And so it's, it's really responsiveness is is tantamount to the success uh, of any of these developments, uh, projects, and um, they were very responsive. Obviously, like I said, they Justin said they had gone through this uh, with several other companies, and um, so they they had their stuff together, and, you know, I think that the, the great thing about this, uh, you know, this project, it front loads a lot of the costs that are opening up, not just this this one five hundred acre parcel, but it's seventeen hundred acres total. Okay, so that's going to put in in place uh, much more developable land for economic activity in this region. And uh, so some of the costs that are going into to prepare this site are going to actually feed an additional twelve hundred acres. Okay. Water, sewer, electricity, gas. Uh, infrastructure, roadways uh, they are going in, so there's going to be a lot more land available for development for suppliers, for secondary, tertiary uh, activity around this plant and for other economic development.
3: Well, you know, I, I know you're in the real estate business, so you, you know this a lot better than I do, but when, when prospects are, are looking at um, either a parcel or a structure, a house, whatever, it doesn't matter if it's commercial or residential, uh, they, they want to envision themselves in it, right? Mm-hmm. They want to envision their project. What's it going to look like. Yeah, and and the closer it looks like you're ready to get going, the the better position you are to, to get a deal I done. I mean, it,
1: it, to have a, a site slicked up, no trees, the topography's flattened out, uh, the the roadways are in, that gives them a much better vision of what could be there than if they pull up on a a stand of trees and, you know, no roadway. Uh, well, in Mississippi, drainage is a problem, yeah, as you know. A storm. So. absolutely. it's a, in, in my county, that's what we're working on is a, a comprehensive storm drain uh, system um, for the entire county. So th- those type issues are, are what is considered in uh, the... the you know, the activity that these uh, site selections uh, take, you know, when they take place, there's a lot of factors and a lot of moving parts. And uh, I just, I congratulate Justin, his team, MDA, Accelerate Mississippi. It's a good day uh, for Mississippi. Team
3: effort, no doubt. And the governor, um, he thanked and he, um, He uh, extended congratulations and gratitude to all those groups that you named, Mm -hmm. including the legislature. He made the point, as you know, um, I kind of laughed a little bit. You know it a lot better than I do, but he said, those of you that have worked in this building know it's pretty hard to get a consensus around too much, (laughs) and we were able to get something done in 24 hours. And so he he, uh, extended his thanks to members of the legislature, and and you were a large part of that, I know, as well. So it's just good to see the state come together and rally around something like this.
1: Our, Our winners. You know, and and what our intent, our winners are are our citizens, the people that have the opportunity for higher-paying, better-paying jobs with benefits like the sixty-six thousand average salary, two thousand jobs, and. That doesn't really take into account all of the extra that goes around it. I mean, obviously, for us, we look at Nissan and see what you know what was the original intent and or, or the uh, commitment from them when they started, and it's grown tremendously from that. Yeah. And you look at the suppliers that have located around, so you see the potential of what big opportunities like this can do. And uh, I think that's what's uh, you know for Mississippians, that's what I think they want the opportunity, the yeah. opportunity for. Better-paying jobs. And yeah. That's what we're we're bringing in here. So before I
3: saw the details, I stated on the show on on Tuesday and Wednesday that I was confident that uh, our leaders um, would uh, craft uh, a deal that would protect the taxpayers with adequate clawback provisions, et cetera. That uh, this this would not go south on the taxpayers. That we certainly acknowledge we we've had some. Projects in our past that could have been handled differently, mm-hmm. but I think we've learned from that. And that's before I saw the the actual provisions themselves. Are you comfortable, Senator? With what I am.
1: I mean, I, I think that's what they they have worked on. I mean, as you go through these projects, you see what other states do, and you see the problems that arise. I mean, um, I think the the clawback provision in this uh, deal was about two hundred thirty-eight million, which covers the state county portion of the grant and public infrastructure commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, these combined companies have a market capitalization over 110 billion dollars. Uh, you know, now that we can say the names, I mean, Daimler, uh, Cummins. Packard, Cummins. I mean, these are these are household names uh, and and successful businesses. Um, and you know, the other part about this is is they're not looking to create a market to try to sell this in. They are the end user of this right this product. So right. it's a uh, we we feel like it's a a really safe bet. Um, obviously, you know. <laughs> Murphy's Law: Anything can happen, sure. but but I think we've got the provisions in this deal in the in the MOU and the agreements that'll be signed by the parties that that will protect the state.
3: Okay, well I, I felt like that would be the case. I, yeah. I didn't feel like I was going out on a limb and saying I believe that uh, our leaders in the in the legislative bodies and, and our governor and MDA would ensure that that would be the case. And once I saw kind of the final deal and in the, in the terms, I I was comfortable. Yeah, so I think it's a good deal overall. We're governor, excited. Yeah, the governor said. Um, I, I may not quote him exactly here, but he said that this would posit- positively impact thousands and thousands of our fellow Mississippians absolutely and, and that I think that's true and that's what we want.
1: I mean we talk about and you hear people talking about you know we're trying to bring back jobs, reshore, jobs to america uh... bring in technology from outside this is technology that's not located here this is not technology that's currently being uh, developed or, or manufactured in the united states uh... the beautiful thing about this technology is as its value added as we bring it in and and do research and all the things that our local universities will bring to the table. Uh, all that intellectual property stays here with yeah. this with this joint venture. So, I mean, we're bringing jobs that ordinarily are shipped overseas or are being produced overseas. We're bringing it back to the to to the United States and more specifically to Mississippi. And so that's uh, I, I think that's what we we all talk about. That's what you hear uh, former President Trump beating the drum about. Uh, that's what I think we all want. And and uh, here we are. We have an opportunity to do that, and we uh, looks like we're we're right there at the at the finish line. Yeah, I agree.
3: Uh, we're going to break here. You can hang around. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, the governor also complimented and praised, and, and I know you have as well. Ryan Miller Miller and his team over accelerate uh, Mississippi. Critical part of landing this deal. Absolutely. Big part. Yeah. So that was, I think that was a good move on the part of state government a few years ago to create uh, that organization.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
3: We got Senator Josh Harkins in the Element Wealth Studios. We're coming right back.
0: That keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Welcome back, everyone. Middays coming at you from the Element Well studio. We're visiting with Senator Josh Harkins the day after a uh, really large, I think, second in the state's history in terms of capital investment at $1.9 billion. And we should point out that Daimler, for the audience, they're the folks that make the Freightliner trucks. Mm-hmm. That's what you see out on the roads quite a bit. And then it's Pacar, which makes uh, Peterbilt and
1: Kenworth truck brands. And uh-huh. they have a combustible engine uh, plant. Yeah, and it's called a triangle. Scholar, right. Triangle, yeah, absolutely. And they're I think they just announced a two hundred million dollar expansion. They
3: sure did. So great not,
1: company. We're not converting everything over uh, yeah. overnight, contrary to what you may hear. Yeah, and that's that's not what's going on no. here. But there but there is
3: an expectation that, you know, through the years there will be a conversion. Now this thing will take what, three, four years to get it up and running?
1: I think the, the plant has to be constructed by twenty twenty nine, December thirty first, twenty twenty nine, and then the ramp up of employees is uh twenty uh, twenty thirty one.
3: Okay. The, and, and is that the performance metric mm-hmm. for the those are uh, some of
1: the benchmark okay. timeframes. frames
3: well the governor said yesterday that the company was already interviewed already right i think he said they reported I think that they, yesterday they're, this announcement they're ready to go yeah i mean because they'll ha- they'll need some staff during the construction mm-hmm. period uh before they get to the uh, to the factory workers themselves the line workers but 66k is a good deal that's a great deal plus um, benefits plus benefits and that and that's important because you know, another major issue we're we're gonna be talking about, of course, uh, in the session is is health care and the health care industry in the state of Mississippi. And the more people we can get employed where their employers offer good commercial group coverage, uh, the better
1: off is our health care. Absolutely. When you have more uh, private policies playing, uh, that's that's good for the, the local health care and good for our citizens. Yeah. And it's just part of the it's part of the overall package that makes this a great opportunity for our citizens uh, to to have that up there in that, you know, eight uh, eight county region. I think it's about a sixty mile area that touches about eighty count eight counties up there. So there's a lot of people up there and, you know, I, I think that having that opportunity for those I think it's 165 percent of the prevailing wage up in that that's area. That's what the governor said too, so, yeah. Sure do. Uh, that's a that's a good opportunity. Yeah,
3: that is that is awesome. Uh, so, one of the amendments that was offered over in the House, and, and we heard some of these, these grumblings as well, even after the deal was done, would have been to require the company to employ, I think, 70 percent of its workforce uh, from uh, Mississippi, mm-hmm. that they would be Mississippi residents. Now, I personally believe that's government overreach. I, I yeah. think on the one hand, you tell the company, look, you got to achieve these targets in order to earn these incentives and to avoid a clawback, but we're going to tell you how to run the company to get there. That's yeah. kind of what it sounds like to
1: me. I, I, you know, if that's the, the position you take, then we're only going to look to develop uh, in Grenada – uh, <laughs> Central, Metro Area, and McGee. <laughs> that's about it. We're not going to do anything on the counties uh, that are on the border. Uh, you know, it's just it, it's you have that, but then that's also an opportunity to, you know, hey, l- let's move closer to where I work. You know, I don't want to drive that far yeah. away. Sure. And, you know, I think they talked about this the other day, that the, the building permits uh, up in that part of the, the, the state are starting to expand uh, into Marshall County. Um, you know, hmm. it's going to be a boom for the county. It's going to be a boom for the schools up there. Yep. I mean, if you look at the fee-and-lue structure that was set up, and this is what's unique about this, is the county is is participating as part of it. They gave back to the state 60% of their share of the fee-and-lue. Right. The schools are going to, over a 30-year period, are going to have about $270 million. Yeah. The state, I think it's about two hundred thirty million to the county, which they're giving sixty percent of it to the state to help pay back for the The infrastructure infrastructure and and land acquisition costs and stuff. So, um, and that's on what they've committed. If there's expansion, I mean that's just on the the baseline of what the commitment's made on. So, um, you know, Justin, uh, you know, the county is really going in as a partner on this, not expecting the state to handle all of it, but to to go in as a partnership. And I think you're you're going to see a lot more. Of that type of uh, structure going forward. Yeah, and
3: and just for the benefit of our audience, folks, a, a fee in lieu of is just uh, kind of a, a set amount of ad valorem taxes in lieu of the the traditional
1: calculation, the calculation of ad valorem, ad valorem tax. taxes. So it,
3: it amounts to a bit of a discount.
1: It discounts it, but it's discounted more towards the, the county side, not, right, the not the schools. Schools are made are made whole, and that
3: that was noted in the provisions that I saw Correct. specifically to your point. So that's a good point. Um, yeah, and. Uh, but it's, it's still revenue that otherwise it wouldn't, would wouldn't have. would not be here. Yeah.
1: We would have 100% of zero. Yeah, exactly.
3: Well, so, all right. So we, we've got uh, the governor kind of teased, and others have as well. We got, And I have on the program. I, I've, I've um, disclosed and divulged what I can about an, another project that's coming up as well, that the legislature, um, the governor said, I think, something south. You said that as well. But it's also very exciting and um it's it's scaled uh significantly uh, but it's a good time to be in mississippi i mean in and, and senator if this thing is is announced in the in the short term which that's kind of the plan at this point that's two major announcements in a short period yeah. of time
1: and, and you know i talk my conversations with with bill cork have been you know about what what else is going on? Like yeah. what are you know what are the projects are we are we looking at or where where's the activity? Not I mean they don't specifically talk about projects because obviously they're under NDA yeah. and confidentiality is tantamount to the success of a lot of these. Sure, but he he is you know he has told me that you know there's so much activity of of people looking. Uh, which is encouraging, and it's looking all over the state and and I know I've, I've heard you know some of the people comment about where the you know the, the activity is going, and I understand the frustration, but you, you can't tell uh, some of these folks where to you know uh, where to locate. They're they're locating for specific reasons. That's right. Uh, if They need a port. They're not going to be locating in my district. Right. Sure. If they need river, if they need you know certain things. So, um, but the the best thing that we can do is is to be prepared. Uh, obviously, what what is becoming uh, very important to the success and and the ultimate location of these projects in our state is: Do we have a workforce? Do we have an educated workforce that is trained? That's you know trainable. Do we have the means to train them? Do we have the power? Do we have the access to power? Yep. Uh, electricity. And these sites or is there sewer? Is there uh, water uh, availability? Um, a lot of those things. You know the 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 highway system. What's the 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 transportation uh, logistics look like um, so a lot of our communities are, are stepping up their efforts and and the state has matched it uh... doing site development grants uh... to counties to economic development groups to to get sites ready uh... because yeah. these things are typically you don't have time to say hey we got a great track of land we got all these things we can get this stuff here it's gonna take a little time but we can get it here they need it there now so the shovel ready means we need to be able to turn uh, and burn as quick as possible, and you know, not having those sites shovel ready uh, tends to tends to hurt us, and and so we've we've allocated, I think it's almost eighty, ninety million dollars to to site sites, grant. Yeah. Development and uh, I imagine you'll see some more money put forward in that area, and, and it's paying off. I mean, but look, these things weren't created overnight. These these mega sites and these uh, economic development areas where we're looking to attract businesses, they take time. Yep. Um, you know, with the Madison one, look at the the the, the I guess the ability for them to. Kind of see into the future when they did the Nissan plant, that interchange right there we talked about. I mean, that it's made critical. it possible. No doubt for that. about it. And that's 20 years ago. Yes. So this this other site uh, in, in Canton is also created because of the work that we did with Nissan yep. many, many years ago. So um, that's, you know, what I talked about earlier about. You know, front-loading this project with a lot of this expense is bringing in the sewer, the water, the gas, uh, all these different factors that help make this additional 1,200 acre- acres ready to go. And so you're front loading a lot of those costs that you're not going to have in future uh, economic development projects that yeah. may locate there, and just or it, for businesses to come there. That's exactly right. That's
3: going to say you're you're positioning for future projects. Absolutely. Is what you're doing right now, and so you're you, you're able to. Uh, you've got a fixed cost associated with that, and when you have a project that enables you to to facilitate that, then you're good to go in the future projects, and it's a huge advantage in that respect. The the state. I just want to clarify this. I know there there are those who feel like that because this is Marshall County and the, in the western part of the state is not getting a lot of attention. But you guys don't sit around the legislature and say, "Hey, don't let anything go into the west." Absolutely part not. Of the state. I
1: I would love to have a project in in the Delta, uh, in Greenville, Tunica, wherever Leland, Hollandale, you know, wherever we got to put it. Yeah. Uh I think that we want to we want to help. Create opportunities for Mississippians to work. We want to increase the labor force participation uh, rate. We want to make sure we have opportunities for our citizens to have higher and better-paying jobs. You know, to climb the ladder, so to speak. Uh, totally create agree. opportunity and, and for them to raise their family here. Appreciate you coming on, Senator. Always good to see you, sir. Thank
3: you, Gerard. Yep, we're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. Whoa.
0: Mississippi. you ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbett. on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass, there's a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Oh,
3: Welcome back, everyone. Middays. A little Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. I don't know why that tune never did really seem to fit the rest of the music that they created, but... But it's catchy. It is catchy, no doubt. It'll stick in your head, as they say. Ben from Madison is, the week, is next week when you expect this other project uh, that looks like it's going to Madison County to be announced. Uh, that is the tentative plan at this point. It's about all I can say about it, Ben. And um, I am uh, I'm, I'm busting at the seams about it. Honestly, I just, just couldn't be more ecstatic uh, about this and the project. Of course, announced yesterday. Unbelievable. Good time to be in Mississippi and and be a resident of the state. I think. Um, This is going to be, both of these projects are going to be a springboard for additional capital investment and economic growth, which is so desperately needed in our state. Ricky in Aberdeen says they couldn't get 2,000 people from Mississippi to work in Marshall County if they wanted to. We were just talking about the the amendment that would have required the company to create a workforce that consisted 70% of Mississippians. Yeah, I agree. I, I just, I don't like the idea of government saying, okay, in order to earn these um, in, these incentives, these grants, and so forth, I think that goes overboard when you start to dictate to them what their workforce has got to look like. Look, I think it'd be great if it could be all Mississippians, but that's probably not realistic, honestly. Um, I, I would also say that with the lowest labor participation rate in the nation, with nearly half of our folks on the sidelines, that are that are in the working age range, and and are able-bodied can work. I still just want to point out that what the the question of why aren't you working? I mean, it's not like we need this plant to hire Mississippians. We got plenty of job opportunities and can't seem to fill them. By the way, Ricky says, I have a customer in Marshall County, specifically Holly Springs, that is begging people to come to work at 25 bucks an hour. There you go. So, I mean, it's no secret. There's, there's still a constrained labor market. It's softened somewhat uh, since, you know, right after we came back from the COVID stuff when everybody was scrambling to, to uh, restaff up their organizations. It's improved since then no doubt about it but it there's still it it, it varies from market to market honestly you know s- some some markets are more stable than other and more balanced than others and some there's still folks out there looking for people can't get the people they need i mean you still see it do you not run around the, just the shops and retail stores and restaurants and convenience stores hiring right you still see it oh yeah it's
2: place. it's more rare to go in somewhere that doesn't have a now hiring on the on the door i agree
3: Charles of Matheson wanted to know if rail access is needed. whether it be reopening of the line across the Mississippi and Greenville for western routes? I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure there will be any rail involved in that. I'll see what I can find out. It's a good question uh, for sure. Um, let's see. What else do we have? Boy, I can't wait for the Trump-Biden debate, says Darren and Jackson. Don't think we're going to see any. I really don't. I don't see any chance that Joe Biden agrees to a debate with Donald Trump. It would be embarrassing, I believe, for Joe Biden, honestly. And, and there's, there's more reports, even from the left, about his declining cognition. You're seeing that? He was in North Carolina he got somebody confused once again, you know, and, and that's the point we made repeatedly on the program, is if it were just isolated incidents, you just say, okay, but it's not. It's every single time he goes out, and that happened in North Carolina, I can't remember exactly, but he, he confused someone, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that was in the audience for another person who's a member of Congress, I believe I got that right. I just saw that cross my... My device is late last night, but it's kind of embarrassing for him. And I think his handlers are trying to limit his public appearances, honestly. I really do. You're seeing Kamala Harris be more visible, sort of carrying the flag for the Biden-Harris team. I now refer to it as the Harris-Biden team. I also wanted to pass on that last night, the Wall Street Journal published an article about the Marshall County project. That's great. State of Mississippi. Featured in the Wall Street Journal. A good overview of the project. And uh, what is expected from the project. There's still some concerns, of course, about the viability of electric vehicles. It does appear that the commercial, uh, commercial customers, if you will, the commercial market is more inclined to convert at a swifter pace. I just think it's a little bit more practical for them than the typical owner of a passenger-type vehicle where there's just still problems and still objections that, that are all perfectly legitimate. The range, the performance in extreme weather conditions, the cost of maintenance and uh, the battery replacement, et cetera. I mean, it's it's down the list. But I still believe that those are technical issues that ultimately will be resolved, because I think you'll see a lot of investment, which is what's lacked in the past, in addressing those issues. Materials is a big thing. We shared last week, as you recall, Rhino, um, the use of quantum computing and artificial intelligence to uh, try to identify new novel materials, to be used in the, in the creation production of, of um, batteries, not just for EVs, but just batteries in general that would really just kind of change the landscape of battery technology so that they would be more efficient, less expensive to create, have uh, longer lives, uh, produce more power, have uh, longer capacity times, all the above. I mean, that's the, and those are the problems that are, we're trying to solve with battery technology in general and why it's just can't compete with traditional electric generated power from fossil fuels and or fossil fuels based vehicles, but, uh, or gas-powered let's say tools and and other items. But those are things that I think that will be addressed and ultimately Humans will innovate and address and solve those problems. Now, when that comes, I don't know. But I know this, there are a whole lot more tools and assets available to solve those problems today than there ever has been, and that's just going to continue to increase, and specifically talking about things like quantum computing and artificial intelligence, tools that weren't available short, honestly, two, three years ago, uh, to assist in that effort. So I think it's exciting. Ricky in Aberdeen says Biden won't be on the ticket in November. I disagree, Ricky. I believe he will. I believe the deal's been cut. Now, should something, God forbid, happen to President Biden that would render him just incapacitated and unable to run? Yeah. But if that doesn't happen, no, I think he's it. I, I don't see how anything stands in the way of that at this point. I really don't. Um and I and I think it'll be close, but I think ultimately, the reservations people will have, especially in the swing states, about the president's ability, the current president's ability, to serve another four terms, I think ultimately will cause him to lose the election. I think I really do. I think that's what ultimately will do him in. Even those who feel like they have to hold their nose to vote for. Former President Donald Trump, I I really do believe that they'll they'll do that. They'll opt for that over voting for uh, the current president who just ain't ready, honestly. By the way, in North Carolina, once again, Rhino he spouts these lies. This just drives me crazy. He he starts talking about the eight percent, eight percent that. Uh, The uh, most successful Americans pay as an effective tax rate. And once again, how he calculates that number, which is complete horse hockey, is that he includes unrealized capital gains, meaning they're not taxable. So it's not like if you took all their, just to clarify, it's not like if you took all their tax returns and took all their income and their tax liability and and divided the latter into the former, that you'd get 8%, because you won't you simply will not. Now, if you added into that all the unrealized capital gains, meaning they haven't really liquidated those assets, they produce no taxable gain, yeah, you get 8%. He doesn't explain that, of course, and the uh, trained seals in the audience just go, yeah, Joe, 8%, that's not fair. Why does he lie like that? I guess it's a rhetorical question, because he can and people believe it. That's the problem. he goes on to, once again, campaign for tax hikes and a wealth tax. You know, that's what he wants. He wants to tax that wealth. Uh, he, he talks about, of course, forgiveness of student loans, which, by the way, looks like he's doing that once again. Even though the Supreme Court said he's not supposed to, he's working around those rules to achieve that. That just was announced this morning. I want to say another $5 billion or something. But just more class warfare. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. We got Kelly Bennett at 12:20. Days
0: with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. The Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Oh, oh, oh. Right.
5: There she stood street uh, smiling for my head to her feet i said what is this now baby maybe she's in need of a kid i said hey, hey what's your name baby maybe we can see things the same
3: welcome back everyone it is midday oh, super hey, talk mississippi hey, hey. Let's move, baby. Adam Schiff, you know who he is. He's running for a United States Senate in the great state of California. You know that? Oh, he's, yeah. He's announced that. His, uh, by the way, I went to his website because I was just curious to see what he had to say. And maybe it's just me, but there was a link that I saw that, uh, if I can find it here, on the issues. I get the old, the page you're looking for cannot be found error. I guess he doesn't have anything to say about the issues. Is that what that means? But I have heard him speak, and I have seen some reports on Representative Adam Schiff's agenda. He wants a national right to abortion. That's the top thing on his list. Cancel $50,000 worth of student debt for every borrower. A universal basic income. He wants to raise the corporate tax to thirty-five percent. It's presently at twenty-one. He also wants to federalize elections, including, including, allowing across the country in every state, allowing votes received by mail up to ten days after Election Day to be counted. And to in voter ID, I mean, just all of the above. That old H.R. 1 that, you know, passed the House, couldn't get through the Senate because it takes 60 votes over there. But it's kind of scary when you think about the largest state in the country being represented by this far left wacko, honestly. That's scary, in my view. Steve Garvey, remember him, the first baseman, Popeye, they used to call him for the Los Angeles Dodgers, running as a Republican, being outraged dramatically in uh, the fundraising category by Representative Adam Schiff. Kind of scary, though. They don't account for unrealized losses and down years on the ceasefire tax line. That's in response to Joe Biden's bottomless Pinocchio, phony 8% tax rate paid by billionaires because he takes into consideration unrealized gains. I agree, though. I understand. So, let's see here. Gary and the bird, question or two, does it make a difference that we have a Republican majority in the House, Senate, and have the governor as well? What would the business climate in Mississippi look like if the Democrats were in control without a business-friendly climate as opposed to an anti-business Democrat climate? I dare say it's likely projects like this would come, wouldn't come would come to our state. How we vote matters. Yeah, I, I think it has as much to do with the regulatory environment, and honestly, what, what that drives, Gary, is, like I've been saying, it, it, it drives the ability of economic developers to respond timely and respond reliably. And I, I, I just can't emphasize how important that is when you're working with these process, prospects. The cycle times have shortened, just like the Senator Josh Harkin said. You cannot drag your feet. You cannot get buried in bureaucracy. You will lose if you do. Thomas and Greenwood says, well, if most employees end up living in Tennessee, will they at least send Mississippi taxpayers a thank you card? They're going to be paying taxes in Mississippi, Thomas. Do you know that? Your tax home they had a dime for every time Dr. Milam said this in my income tax, of course, by the way, 1980. Your tax home is where you work. Your tax home is where you work. You pay taxes in Mississippi. So I don't know what you mean by that. So why, he says, so why do you think requiring Mississippi residency and overreach considering, the, considering they're relying on welfare from Mississippi? Well, first, I don't consider it welfare. It would be welfare if the state and the taxpayers didn't receive a return. That's welfare. There's a significant return, upside return here. Just replacing income, such as food stamps and housing assistance, um, what would have, what be uh, funded with income earned by a resident? Yeah, that's welfare. But this isn't, in my view, because it, it's investing a dollar to get a hundred. That's not welfare. But to your, answer your question, because you're dictating to a company how to operate to achieve the targets that you've required of them in order to earn those incentives. It, it's like...
2: At the 11th hour on a multi-year negotiation.
3: Yes, exactly. So think about just typical business environment. You you have a bonus program. Think about that. You're an employee. You have a bonus program. But your manager says, but this is exactly how you're going to do your job to achieve those targets to earn that bonus. And you do it, and you fail, and you don't earn the bonus. Well, then that's on the person who said, well, you told me I have to do it this way. I have a better way of doing it. It's government overreach. I'm surprised that someone that kind of talks about being so staunchly conservative would want to interfere with the way a business conducts its operations, especially when it's really, in my view, irrelevant. The focus on employment in Mississippi ought to be on the current 49% of our working-age population that are not working. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios after Fox News and Super Talk News. Welcome back, everyone. The afternoon portion of Middays is now live in the Element Wealth studio on this Friday, y'all. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with former NFL player Mark Patterson, who retired from football to go on to climb the seven highest mountains in the world, including Mount Everest. In the Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant. Go to SuperiorCatfish.com for more info. And once again, we need to remind you about our presidential primary page. You can keep up with everything happening in the presidential primaries by going to Super. Talk.fm slash elections. Full breakdown of state-by-state results, delegate counts, and more. By the way, just saw that Senator Tim Scott, not so long ago, was among the Republican candidates vying for president, has announced his endorsement of former President Donald Trump. Shocking. Of course, that's a bit of a, maybe considered a bit of a slap in the face to the governor, former governor of his state. But I think everybody's reading the tea leaves here, as they say. And they want to hop on the winning bandwagon. I tell you who's not winning today, that's Sports Illustrated. I just got a notification. You see that? They just...
2: Laying off everybody.
3: The entire staff. Is it the end of the publication, you think? The end sure of the magazine? Sure seems like
2: it. Wow. Wasn't that you know, Sports Illustrated the recently gotten hot water over having AI write articles for them? Yes, it was. Yeah,
3: And I, I don't know. Maybe that's what they're doing. They're going to go to an all-AI-generated magazine or something, huh? How weird would that be? Darren and Jackson says, I work for a company whose home is in Connecticut, but I'm not taxed in Connecticut. So let me, let me be clear about that. When I said your tax home is where you work, it's not where the headquarters exist of the company you work for. It's where you physically work. I can tell you this, Darren. If you traveled from Jackson to Connecticut to work, you're paying taxes in Connecticut, even though you got on an airplane, or you may have drove uh, to that. And I, I remember working those cases in tax class, uh, sort of situations. But it's um, it's where your income is produced, so that's where your essentially your labor is, and and that's how that works. So those that would cross over into Mississippi from Tennessee would be subject to. Mississippi income taxes on their income earned in Mississippi. So, that's how that works.
2: One of the best examples of it is professional sports, like Major League Baseball. It's true. The Good players point. get a W-2 from every single state they play a game in.
3: Absolutely. That's right. You know, I, I know in my business career as an S-corporation, before we were C-corp, where you pay C-corp taxes. But as an S-corp, those, of course, pass through to the individual owners. And, you know, and I would, I would get... Um, those, uh, I can't remember the, the name of the exact form. It's been a while since I've dealt with that, but there's a, it's not a 1099, but there's like a Schedule S, I don't know, something like that. But I get one for every state, you know, where we did business, because where we generated income. And, of course, that's based on having what's called nexus in that state and being registered in that state, which you pretty much had to do or you weren't going to sell to anybody. It's it, That gets kind of dicey and complicated, but... Um, uh, that's that's the way that that works, and you're right. That's a great point because you've heard some of the professional athletes actually talk, bemoan that you know, in the high tax states, relative to the low tax states, because of where their income was earned, including like the golfers. Think about oh, yeah. that. Yeah. So the professional golfers, are sort of the individual sports like that, but nonetheless, Sports Illustrated. Wow, that's kind of kind of sad, honestly. It just feels like. A, an end of an era. I mean, I, kn- I know as a kid I always looked forward to the Sports Illustrated, uh, mainly because of the photos. You know, you didn't you didn't have all the content we had today, the rich content, the photos, the videos that's at your fingertips today, instant. But back then you you know your limited amount of television broadcast and really wasn't very good resolution, very good quality, but you'd get these super high quality close up photos of as a kid, you know, your athletes. And that was cool.
2: I always look forward to that. Well, I mean the the popularity of the magazine rack at any given store has declined in popularity. It's true, precipitously yeah. in the last couple decades.
3: Just well, because of the advent of of uh, uh, digital, to a great extent. Oh yeah. So,
2: I mean, it's the same can be said. We were joking about it. I saw an ad for World Book on Instagram yeah, the other day. Yeah. It's like they still make these yeah, incredible. They do. They're still thousand dollars. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And fill up a whole shelf with information that is officially out of date the second you put it on the shelf. Yep.
3: So Thomas says, I just want businesses to operate without government interference or subsidies, except there would be no business operating. I think that's what the points missed there. So, again, sure, you could just decline to the play. Then you just end up with zero. And we stay 50th forever. And we never get another economic project. I never get another diamond in investment. Never create any of these high-paying jobs. Ever. Not on any scale. I'm not, I'm not talking about small um, investments. Sure, you're going to have that. But you want scale. You want to play with the big boys. You want to attract the enterprises and the billion-dollar investments. You're going to have to compete. It's just simple as that. If that weren't the case... Like like I said, I'd be first in line down there at the Capitol. We don't want to do this anymore. Nobody else is doing it. I'm with you. But as long as the other 49 are doing it, if you want to compete, if you want to play, if you want to attract that industry, then that's these are the terms. This is, These are the market realities, let's put it that way. It's just the market realities. And guess what else? We need them a whole lot more than they need us. We have to be realistic about that. We need every dime, every job, every dollar of capital investment we can
2: get. We really do. So... Opposition to this has made the weirdest bedfellows, because you have the most far-right libertarians that are against it because of principle. And you've got the most far-left, bleeding-heart liberals that don't want it because Republicans get a win.
3: That's... You're right about that. Or it it doesn't fit into some little...
2: Or it's not a, a government program that's giving money straight from taxpayers to individuals for nothing.
3: Yeah, true. Right, with with uh, uh, no sort of attachment to it in recovery uh, opportunity. So I agree, but I get it. You know, I it, it, and it's uh, I respect your opinion on that, uh, Thomas. I just I just disagree. So what point does principle matter? Because uh, I think that's a matter of your principles, not mine, and that's the difference. And so that's fine. We just disagree on this. So so it's not like. You know, any sort of ideology has got the franchise on so-called principle. That's what makes the country great, honestly, is everybody is kind of coalesces around a different set of principles. And it's pretty rare that any of us align like 100%, down the line, cross the board, every single issue. Not going to happen. I've actually had people in the last 24 hours, because I supported this project, call me a Democrat. Because of what Thomas is saying. Because I, I supported this investment. So, you know what I like? I like investing a dollar to get a hundred back. That's what I like. That's my principle. It's called capitalism. I, I don't denounce profit. I embrace it, support it, and encourage it. Now, our friends on the left, honestly, they're constantly looking at denouncing Deriding, bemoaning profit. Robert Reich, I share his quotes all the time. I just shared with you what Joe Biden said. We got to get the billionaires to pay their fair share. They're paying an eight percent tax rate. Endless, bottomless Pinocchio with a bunch of phony garbage. And we gotta have a wealth tax and we gotta raise the corporate income time. Mean, it's just always about how can we just extract more to the point where you don't have any blood to give anymore that's always their solution
2: thomas continues with capitalism would be without subsidies pure capitalism at least it's funny you use the word pure because it's the purity tests of the libertarians that are the albatross around the neck of everybody that claims to be conservative but isn't quite conservative enough for y'all that's actually not true if that were true that would mean because
3: the alternative to to a capitalistic economic system means that the government does not allow private property ownership. Now, some may say, okay, well that's just socialism, that's central planning socialism, which differs from communism where there are no private property rights. Essentially, the government owns the assets. Now, we've seen even the the deepest communist red nation, such as China, they've even opened up more, as you know, to uh, the idea of private property rights and capitalism. but. There was a time where that didn't exist. You, you go back and look at the Cold War era in Russia. Everything was owned by the government. Everything everybody produced, and they realized, gee, we're not able to produce enough food to eat to stay alive. And then all of a sudden they let the farmers own the property and, and receive some of the reward, the profit from their production. Guess what? They were able to feed themselves. Amazing how that works. You've seen these... these um, Views from space of North Korea versus South Korea. North Korea dark, South Korea lit up. Same deal. Coming right back with Kelly Bennett. Stay with us. We interrupt this
0: program. Gerard Gibert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi.
5: Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen. Pour myself a cup of
4: ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. In shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts
1: jumping folks like me on the job from 9 to
3: 5 Working Welcome back everyone, it is middays We are live in the Element Wealth studio And we welcome to the program now Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist
5: Good Morning guys, for All afternoon, right,
3: Kelly. afternoon you know, right? Yeah, absolutely <laughs> We are there. So, it was a bit chilly this morning. It was um, kind of mild here in central Mississippi uh, yesterday, but I I noticed it got a bit cooler overnight. Some showers moved through the area, really cold up in north Mississippi. What's the latest?
5: In north Mississippi, uh, I think it's pretty much north of the I-20 line. Drivers are really being told, unless it's an emergency, stay off the roads. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, Gerard, but we're about to get hit with another cold blast of air that's going to move in tonight, basically through Sunday morning. So sounds like, I guess if if another cold air blast is going to hit, it's best for it to happen on the weekend when people can stay off the roads, hunker down inside, get nice and warm. Uh, This, of course, has created a nightmare for a lot of water systems. And I know you're hearing a lot about... Jackson water where they're investigating false media reports that said that the water system was going to shut down that believe I believe that happened Wednesday night so what happened people start seeing this on social media and they start filling their bathtubs the system couldn't handle it. It resulted in a loss of water or low water pressure in a lot. I think it's about a thousand customers that are being affected by that in Jackson right now. 12,000 are under a boil water advisory as a result. And Jackson Water is working with officials to try to figure out the source of that misinformation. So I don't know if they're going to prosecute or what their plans are, but... You know, we can talk a lot about Jackson water because we know their history. And, of course, that's been a big national story. But the water situation is definitely not just happening in Jackson. In Macomb, they're under a boil water notice due to the uh, frigid air and what the temperatures have done to their system. Residents in Mashulaville, under the Mashulaville Water Association in Noxubee County, are also under a boil water advisory. So it's happening everywhere around the state, not just in Jackson and in South Mississippi, where you've got a lot of elevated homes, plumbers have been super busy (laughs) Yeah, and uh, they've been fixing a lot of water lakes uh, down here. I happen to be on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And, you know, that's the number one insurance claim for homeowners is burst pipes. Really?
3: Wow. So I guess because they're above ground, they don't have the protections uh, from the cold as they would if they're below ground to kind of keep them from busting. And that water uh, gets frozen, expands, and there go the pipes.
5: Yeah, Yeah. but it also happens in attics. It happens, you know, in outside rooms. I mean, it's a common occurrence for a homeowner. I think anybody that owns a home knows
3: yeah that, had,
5: that's I've, a dangerous they've gone out to insulate their pipes but i tell you what before this cold air hits again this weekend go check and make sure if you think you're insulated that you really are just to be safe
3: yeah good point i've had i've had the water heater in the attic burst incident you know before at my house and uh, that, i don't think that was related to it being cold but to, just to your point about plumbing accidents at the house, you know, being uh, mm-hmm. the most common claim on insurance. I get it. All right, let's talk about this uh, this big EV battery factory announcement in Marshall County, North Mississippi. We've been discussing it all morning. What do you got for us?
5: Well, I thought it was really interesting this morning. So Gallo had um, William Cork, the executive director of the Mississippi Development Authority, on this morning.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: And now, of course, this facility in Marshall County, you're talking about 2,000 jobs, an annual salary of about $66,000. That's going to move the needle for a lot of employees in Mississippi. I'd imagine they'll be lining up to get these jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, then the conversation gets into workforce development. Are we going to have the people to work there and that kind of thing? But I thought this was really interesting from William Cork, who said these type of projects Don't happen without great leadership in local communities. Listen to what he said.
2: We have closed over $8.8 billion in capital investment and over 15,700 jobs since Tate Reeves was elected governor. The average in the previous, you know, 10 years or so before he took office was about $900 million a year. We were getting a major economic impact project once about every eight or 10 years. You know, we've just done two in the last, you
1: know, year and a half.
5: And he mentioned that the timeline for these types of projects is moving up. They're happening a lot quicker. He also said they have $60 billion in capital investment, 35,000 jobs, and 145 projects in the pipeline right now. We just announced uh, Clark
2: Beverage, $100 million yes. investment for that. Uh, sure. got the Amazon Distribution Center a couple of years ago. Uh, I know that every one of our mega sites, Paul, in the state, and, and Madison County is a mega site,
5: has at least... Four projects in competition. Four projects at these mega sites each. Yeah. I mean, that's great news for Mississippi. And I know there are a lot of rumblings right now. I know you know more details than you're allowed to talk about, about the future and another big economic development project that's coming to the state. I thought it was interesting, too. You know, there's been some um, debate. Let's call it debate. I'll use that term about why isn't the Delta getting a big project and court said this morning you know the delta needs a lot of investment he said it's up to the local guys to set these sites up and then the mda comes in and helps them get a deal with these big companies that create these great jobs and he talked about the fact that the port of vicksburg is already at capacity but they just went in the mayor worked with local entities to purchase 2,000 acres for future development. So it's really up to local people to just constantly keep an eye on the future, get these sites ready for development, and then the MDA can swoop in with these kind of projects, which are great news for these communities.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, appreciate that, color and appreciate you sharing uh, those uh, those tapes with us. What about uh, the name change up at the Mississippi University for Women? It was on, and now it looks like it's off. What's going on there?
5: Well, apparently people didn't like what they had picked, which was going to be Brightwell University. I thought it was interesting. You know, the university was founded in 1884 as the first public college for women in the U.S., but they've actually been admitting men in since 1982. So you can't blame them for wanting a name change to, you know, more appropriately reflect what they actually are. The university president, Norm Miller, told us earlier this week that they didn't want to use regional or geographical names or surnames, and people didn't like the Brightwell pick. Where we made a mistake, <laughs> and I'll admit that, um, we said that you know for over 100 years rw was for women and we didn't want to just grasp at w names to satisfy that so we we have heard the pushback on that so the deadline for legislation to be introduced is coming up february 13th so they're planning to come up with a new name by then with a lot more feedback Mm -hmm. and while we're on the topic of education i didn't give you a heads up on this gerard so i apologize no problem but some great news for mississippi this came out just yesterday we've achieved record high graduation rates at the high school level with dropouts on the decline the state experienced an 89.4 percent graduation rate for the 2022 to 23 school year that's an all-time record while dropout numbers decreased to 8.5%, surpassing the feat that was accomplished in the 2021 to 22 school year, the graduation rate, more good news, also exceeds the latest US rate of 86.5%. From 2019 to 2020, that's been reported by the National Center for Education Statistics. So you talk about this great news about this facility coming to Marshall County, 2,000 jobs. You need high school graduates. You need skilled people for these kind of jobs. And when you hear that... Less Mississippians are dropping out of high school. That's just great news all yeah.
3: around. Lots of positive uh, news across the state of Mississippi this week. Uh, what about in the entertainment world? What's going on with Chapel Heart?
5: Oh, man, do you love this trio or what? These girls are so great. So Chapel Heart has returned to the America's Got Talent stage. Monday nights as part of this brand-new series, AGT Fantasy League. And the girls from Poplarville will be on the show. It comes up uh, Monday night on NBC if you want to cheer for the local guys.
3: Sounds great. Great ambassadors are Chapel Heart for the state of Mississippi. Appreciate you joining us at all. As always, Kelly, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great weekend. We're coming right back with half an hour of Midday. Stay with us.
0: Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines. Breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk, Mississippi.
3: We are back in the Element Wealth Studio, the Dow continues to trend upward, now up 3.33, and here's why. One of the Fed presidents, uh, Rhino, said that, well, I don't think we have to get down to the target rate of 2% inflation in order to begin a pullback on interest rates. Well, up to this point, that's been the widely held belief. The Fed has said, our target's 2%, and until we get there, we're not likely to Reduce interest rates, the benchmark interest rate. Well, this one Fed governor, I'm not sure where he's from, last name's Bostick, B-O-S-T-I-C. B-O-S-T-S-E, I just saw that on the crawler. He said, um, yeah, I don't think we have to get there. <laughs> How about that? So, Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. Okay. All right. So just, again, as we've talked about on the show, just parsing those words, right, that one statement has such a huge influence on the markets. It's amazing. I personally wish we focused less on the Federal Reserve and more on the fundamentals like, you know, profit and growth and things like that. But that's just the reality of where we are, and I think that's because we had so many years of near zero interest rates, and it's kind of turned everything upside down, Have the last couple of years with 11 rate hikes. So it's anybody's guess. I believe we're going to see no changes in interest rates for the year 2024. Some believe, I've heard popularly, three rate reductions. I've heard others say six. The next time, by the way, they, they meet is in March. And I think the odds of them uh, instituting a rate decrease we're at about 80%. I think that's pulled back to like 70% now. But the market clearly is expecting And here's the problem when you set that expectation, as you know. If you don't do that, then the market just tanks. Oh, my gosh, they didn't do what we thought because that's baked in now. That's the way it works. The market is a, a forward-looking discount mechanism, essentially. That's the way it works. Michael in Brookhaven, will Mississippi have a Democratic primary for president? I don't know. That's up to the Democrat Party. I haven't really heard. I haven't heard that they're not, but it's a good question. I'm not sure at this point. Dan in Hattiesburg says, maybe it's the seemingly DEI swimsuit issue that's doing in SI. I actually think it's been headed in that direction, uh, as I I understand it, Rhino, for a while, that Sports Illustrated's been struggling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is anything new. I'm not saying that helped them.
2: I mean, you know, the. I mean, there are some people on social media that are celebrating the demise of Sports Illustrated because they claim the publication is another example of "go woke, go broke." Okay,
3: I I get it. I don't think that's the case. I I don't think. uh, I didn't agree with that. I thought it was dumb. I I found it a bit shameful and disgraceful. But I don't think ultimately that figured into their business demise. That has been trending in that direction for some time. I think it's just lack of demand, honestly, and and of course, the, you, you make money in that business by selling advertising, and if advertisers don't feel like they're getting the return on that Im- investment of advertising in their publication, they don't buy
2: advertising. You can't make ends meet when that's the case, so I think that's the bottom line. And you're seeing a lot of capstone publications that cover a lot of ground, whether it be Sports Illustrated covering all sports, or you have the the different publication, like the the Home and Garden, where it's everything you would possibly want for your home. Like, you have those that are struggling while you see other publications that are more niche or more narrowly focused that aren't struggling as much, but they're still in decline.
3: Yeah. Absolutely true. So, um, we haven't talked too much about the world of woke lately, but I wanted to share with you about... And I may have done this already. If I did, I apologize for repeating it. But United Airlines, they've got a rather robust DEI department. I just noticed a, a photo of them promoting their department. There's not a white person in the department. It's not diverse. It's not inclusive. I mean, that's just silly. They've announced, of course, some, some target they have on the composition by race of their airline pilots, which I think sits at 60% now, they want of white pilots, and they want to reduce that to 40%. Can't we just hire people who can fly airplanes? Why do we got to worry about their dang race? It's just always front and center in everything. It's kind of disgusting. I also saw that the Ann Arbor School District, Ann Arbor School District, they are adopting a resolution. Of course, you know the you know the area has is, uh, is got a large Muslim population. Their school board is voting on, if they haven't already done so, a resolution
2: yeah, they did it yesterday.
3: Okay they, they and I think it was approved by one or two votes, if I'm not mistaken now that I recall they, they voted on a resolution for a ceasefire in the Israel-Gaza conflict. Why is a school board getting involved? It's a rhetorical question, of course. The president of the school board, by the way, no surprise, a Muslim, and their photos and videos of the Muslim parents addressing the school board, encouraging them to adopt this resolution. And they want the teachers to actually talk about this in the classrooms in the school district. And, of course, They're going to talk about a ceasefire, and I seriously doubt they're going to share with the kids the atrocities committed by the Hamas organization on innocent Israelis. No, they won't say anything about that. I just think this is wrong for a school board to be meddling in political matters like this. Okay, you adopted a resolution. I'm sure that's going to stop the fighting, right, in the Ann Arbor School District. Right away, okay, Ann Arbor said we don't need to fight anymore. I mean,
2: how dumb is that? So, of course... Because that's the way the world works. Netanyahu was just waiting on the Ann Arbor School District to come out with their <laughs> resolution to make the decision on when to pull his troops out. It's dumb. Now, it, it's the epitome of dumb.
3: Now, of course, there are... Jewish students, that come from Jewish families, in the school district.
2: And the scariest part of all of this is these people vote. I agree. And they, of course... They can't find their butt with both hands, but they have the right to vote. It's
3: uh, both the beauty and the curse, is it not? Uh, so the, there are some Jewish parents who have come out and said, well, we feel marginalized. We feel discriminated against. Well, they should. We feel like we've just been abandoned. That the school district is taken aside, essentially,
2: in the war. Get All right, those the rules of intersectionality. You don't have enough intersectionality, invisible Internet, cool points. You don't matter. You're right. Now, the school board president, Rima Mohammed,
3: she acknowledged that the ceasefire resolution is purely, quote, symbolic. Well, then why did you do AKA it? A.K.A. a waste <laughs> of time. <laughs> I mean, when do we get the schools to focus on, I don't know, teaching stuff that enables you to get a job and produce income for you and your family eventually? That's what the purpose of school is.
2: Well, that requires actual thinking and work, not regurgitating whatever spoon-fed talking point you've been given.
3: Well, and this sort of stuff sweeping the country. There are other districts, by the way, I've read, that are
2: also considering We can't be outdone by Ann Harbour. It's the same stupidity that's riled up people to go spray paint Starbucks that they're funding genocide. I agree. Do you really think Starbucks has anything to do with Israel versus Gaza? Unbelievable. Or are you just caught up in the emotions of other dumb people being dumb? And that's exactly what's going on.
3: On the ceasefire tax line, supplying back to Tennessee, supplying employees for Tate's great feat in Marshall County, it seems to me there's a certain percent we would want, less than 30%, but a few. Why? Why do you want to dictate to that? So, what if the company comes back and says, okay, we're out? If that's your requirement, we're not playing because we're already concerned about getting the 2,000 employees we need. We want to cast a broad net to get them from anywhere so we can function and operate and achieve the goals and the targets you've set up for us. You've set forth for us that are subject to clawbacks. Because then the problem is, well, I would have hit the targets, guys, if I didn't have this requirement put on me, and then you go to court. You see what I mean? So, no, I I disagree with this. You know they're already working feverishly, frantically, to figure out how we're going to get these 2,000 employees. Now, what I can say is, there's some, some of the money in this incentive package goes to workforce development for Mississippians. That's absolutely appropriate, in my view. We should not be spending money on workforce development for Tennessee residents. Now, if the company spends money, of course, to train their employees to do their job and they come from Tennessee, that's different. So I'm, I'm good with that. That makes perfect sense. But to restrict the company on whom it can hire, no. And, and if we started to put that into practice and include that uh, in our packages for these companies, we probably ain't ever playing again on the border counties. Just like Senator Harkins said, might as well just cut it off from Grenada to, you know, what do you say, McGee? Nothing below that. He's probably right. And you can't go too far to the east or west either, right? So we got about 15 counties that would play. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I I get the concern, but it's just not realistic. It's not practical. Coming right back with the final segment of Midday. Stay with us. Gerard
5: Gibbert.
0: He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a journey record jacket from the 1980s, Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk Mississippi.
3: The great Earl Scruggs. So a bit of trivia here. There was a time when Nokia, you know, the guys that are popularly known for phones, right? They had a big IT division. I want to say it was in France, somewhere in Europe. But in the early days when firewalls, got to remember, back to late 90s, early 2000s, in the early days when firewalls were usually self-contained, dedicated devices, Oh, yeah. That had software on them. Checkpoint really invented it. An Israeli company, by the way. Great company. Nokia used to make firewalls, competed with Checkpoint. Our Nokia rep, when back when we used to represent him, was from Nashville. And his last name, I can't remember his first one. I'm embarrassed to say. It's been a while. Scruggs. He was like, Earl was like his great-great-grandfather or something. Huh. That's pretty cool. And from Nashville, of course. So... Uh, I always used to laugh about that. <laughs> You've been picking lately? <laughs> he was an IT guy, you know, like the rest of us. Pretty cool. On the c text line, real quick question. Can you explain how Social Security works when you retire? Is it based on your gross income for your career? Or is it your top three years of income? I wish it were easier than that, but it's actually based on uh, an index monthly, your indexed monthly earnings uh, over up to 35 years of earnings. So what it tries to do is kind of level out your earnings over your your career uh to calculate your benefits they call it average index monthly earnings and it takes by the way your top 35 years 35 could contrast that to like um pers years which is or months I thought I think it's years. Okay, I think, I'm pretty sure it's years. It's called average monthly earnings, but they take your income over 35 years because you could have worked 40. Right. But they only take they take the top 35 and they index it because I think they apply the CPI across the months. I think ah, that's okay. why it's referred to. But nonetheless, and and there are calculators. By the way, uh, this is from Brad Jackson. If you're interested, you can go out uh, to the Social Security uh, website and there's a calculator that'll help you. And if you're approaching Social Security age, you, you've probably been receiving communication from Social Security Administration saying, by the way, if you retire, here's your benefits. Um, also, the maximum benefits up this year, I did want to look that up, it's $3,822 for 2024. four. That is, is uh, it depends on your retirement age, but if you're at so-called full retirement age, which is published and based on your birth date. So if you retire at age 62, which is the earliest you could tap into that, well, then your benefit, your maximum is $27.10. So there, there's additional income per month if you wait a little longer. Then there's a, age 70 as well. It's, that's another cutoff. But it has gone up. So here's the deal. No matter how much you paid into it, you ain't getting but 38 22 a month out. And I just saw a screen here in the, uh, in the studio Democrats are pushing again to lift the cap. That's one of the things Joe Biden wants to do. Meaning you pay Social Security on all of your your wages subject to Social Security, even if you make a million dollars a year. But the most you're getting out, 38-22. In fact, they want to reduce the amount. They want to means test it. Essentially what they're looking for is folks that make more money, they're going to pay for the retirement benefits for folks that make less. That's what they're trying to do. That's the system they want to implement. Ricky in Aberdeen says, I just got my Social Security update last week. There you go. I I get mine, too, Ricky, as well. Um, so the person on the ceasefire tax line said he'd like to see maybe 30% of the workers be Mississippians. Clarified, and said, uh, I'm not looking for any restrictions. They would probably move to Mississippi once they passed probation and decided that working for the new company was a good fit for them. I think it would depend on, honestly, a lot of other circumstances, how far they travel, what kind of – Residency have and other sort of stuff. But
2: well, like, that was another thing I pointed out yesterday is an unintended consequence of restricting the residency of a worker would mean you couldn't cast that broad net. You couldn't say, hey, you're living in Arkansas or Tennessee or Alabama or even Kentucky or, or Louisiana. if you're living in one of those states and you'd like to move to Mississippi work here, You'd have to move here first and then get the job, because you'd have to be a Mississippi resident. Right. And with a tight labor market, I
3: just think that puts more pressure on on the company that's undue and unnecessary. It says no restrictions, no quotas, just, just tempting uh, good working people to become Mississippi citizens. I, I get it. I, I understand that. And, you know, maybe uh, the company can do that, but again, I don't want to put them in a position where they've got an additional hurdle uh, to cross to get the people they need in a very tight labor market. Now, if there was just people on day one lined up to go to work there, and you knew that would be the scenario, which you know it's not, maybe that'd be different. But the tight labor market we have today with very low unemployment, uh, a relatively low labor participation rate, and nothing seems to be changing that situation, I, I think... I mean, I get it. I want people to live here, too. Don't get me wrong. And I believe this will become... Uh, kind of a magnet for just that to occur. I'm optimistic about that. We uh, thank you so much for tuning in today and joining us on Middays. We always appreciate you engaging with us on the text line and supporting the program. We're out of here today. It's going to be a little chilly over the weekend. I hope you have a good one. We're back on Monday. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.